Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling TV show from a streaming service. And that classic pro wrestling TV show from a streaming service could be from pretty much anywhere and any when, if that's a proper term, <laughs> in the world, uh, through the decades, through the globe, through the space-time continuum, all those things. Uh, that's where we grab shows, dump them into the randomizer, and what it pulls out truly, legitimately, completely at random is what we watch here in Season 2 of Wrestling at Random. And this week, the randomizer pulled something that I was pretty darn excited to see, it's an episode of ECW Hardcore TV in the final weeks of the build to ECW's first ever pay-per-view event, Barely Legal. March 18th, 1997, ECW Hardcore TV. So this, this show is uh, basically a recap show. Uh, Joey Styles tells us this will be a recap of the Hostile City Showdown 97. Which, which, by the way, we should just mention, it's a recap, but it's a recap of a big ECW arena show that no one had seen yet unless they were in the arena. At that time, again, as you said, no pay-per-views. This is their one hour of weekly television. So uh, the people in the arena had seen it, but this is a show that hadn't yet been released on VHS. And so... Uh, to the weekly viewers, it's just a really loaded weekly TV show that happens to be, quote-unquote, recapping this ECW Arena event. And it was going to be a huge build to the ECW first-ever pay-per-view. So Yeah, really almost like a go-home show. I mean, it isn't. They had another set of tapings that they'll, met, they'll reference later in Pittsburgh, but this is the final ECW Arena show which was always their biggest shows of the month or of the, you know, however long it was in between shows. Uh, this was the last, the last big stop before you got to barely legal. Yeah. So this event took place three days prior, March 15th at the ECW arena in front of 1,100 sold out fans. The show opens with just a ton of dudes in the ring. Yes. Can cold. A cold open, and the ring is full of basically the entire locker room. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Candido just... Chris Candido hits Rob Van Dam. Sabu fights Candido. Taz gets into the ring, and it's a huge brawl. Everyone is trying to keep Taz and Sabu separated. This is the main event of the first-ever pay-per-view Taz and Sabu, and that will be the show-long theme is is uh, Taz versus Sabu and the build to that match. Yes, and a lot of people, once it got time to actually have Barely Legal, I think everyone expected that the actual main event on the show would be Taz versus Sabu uh, due to this year-long build of them being kept apart, never physically touching each other. Uh, in the end, that match would not be the main event. I think a lot of people were... Uh, we're surprised by that. My favorite part of this whole open is Raven just standing in the corner, calmly watching all of this <laughs> one, just because I love Raven doing stuff like that. And then two, because ECW as wild and chaotic as it felt, they also kept guys completely apart. Like, do you ever remember seeing Raven and Sabu 
uh, like their paths cross or be in the same storyline, it pretty much never happened. Or even like Raven and Taz here. So to even see him in the ring looking on at this made it feel even bigger uh, and more of a, like, wow, this is the thing, the all-encompassing thing here in this promotion. Yeah, we cut to Raven in the ring with Stevie Richards. And Raven tells Stevie that he gets one clean shot, but they get interrupted by New Jack's horrible generic overdub music. The real song would have been awesome, but this song uh, where they just say in the ghetto over and over again is horrible. Yes, Um, this was not Natural Born Killers. This was in the ghetto, and it is not good. Not the best dubbed music they've ever used. The worst. By the way, it was Brian Lee in the ring with Raven, uh, basically asking Raven if if uh, if he could take out Stevie Richards, but Raven says no. I've got this, and that's when he tells Stevie he'll give him one shot. But before that can happen, uh, New Jack, like as you said, he appears on top of the stage, this black, bare, tall stage that encompasses the entranceway at the ECW Arena here in March of 1997, uh, and he meaning New Jack, dives off the top of this stage onto the Dudleys and dozens of other people. And we're off and running. We go to the ECW Open, but for some reason, it's not the classic ECW intro music, which would be used and is used on the official WWE streaming services that, uh, that house ECW legally these days. So strange that it wasn't here, uh, because even if they they were using a different theme music at the time, why would you not just dub that music in? Why is so it not strange. overdubbed that song? Right? Yeah, I yeah. had the same question. I don't understand. They have the rights to it. Very weird. And and again, as we talk about this, we should note both of us being from the Chicago area did not have ECW TV at this time. We didn't get it till mid nineteen ninety eight. So while I watched ECW Barely Legal live, and I, I know you saw it several months later on VHS or DVD, whatever it would have been at that time, uh, I had not ever seen, I've never gone back and watched the build-up, the TV build-up to this show. So I don't know, maybe they had different int- uh, intro music, but I don't think so. Yeah, I'd never seen any of the build-up to this i thought that the terry funk match was the main event uh (laughs) i didn't realize the build the the, the whole build was for taz and sabu so this was uh yeah definitely all new to me Uh, in the ring rob van dam is introduced his opponent the aforementioned taz and taz's manager bill alfonso if you listen to the patreon feed uh yes it's that Former referee Bill Alfonso from the <laughs> uh, from from the WCW New Japan Super Show main event that we just reviewed for the Patreon. Yeah, just a few short uh, years later, boy, was Bill Alfonso's career different. He's dressed in Taz orange and black. The referee here is John Pee Wee Moore. Uh, we should also note as this match gets going, this to me at least was a kind of a weird in-between time for Rob Van Dam. This was just before he would go on to be, I think you get into 1998 and he's incredible. He's one of the most spectacular wrestlers in the world. Here, he's in that that transition phase from when he was really, really small to where he gets physically bigger. He's almost too overbulked here. 
And while it's RVD and Taz and it's worth being excited about, and we'll get into it being a very good match, there's a lot of stuff that RVD does here. A lot of his moves that become signature spots you know, months or years later, but they're not quite as crisp, uh, crisply executed as they would be uh, not shortly thereafter. Alfonso immediately gets Taz a chair and he sets it between him and Van Damme. Van Damme dives to grab the chair, but Taz jumps on him, and they have a great grappling exchange. This was awesome. This is honestly one of the best like amateur-style mat scrambles that I've seen. And while you would expect that out of Taz, I wouldn't have necessarily expected that from Rob Van Damme, but a very cool, unique way to start the match. Taz hits the first suplex of the match. No, Taz hits a Tazplex, <laughs> an right. overhead Tazplex. Van Dam catches Taz with a kick, spinning leg drop, and Taz rolls outside the ring. Then how about that wild no-hands plancha from Rob Van Dam? We talk about that New Japan Super Show uh, that we just reviewed, if you're listening in linear fashion on the Patreon feed. RVD channeling 1991 Sting, Sting just <laughs> flying over the top rope with reckless abandon. Yes, and he wipes out Taz on the floor, almost landing face first. It was it was a scary dive, but uh, yes. definitely spectacular. Not quite as graceful as Sting, but every bit out, as out of control and exciting to see. This is where I noted that, my God, the ECW arena is packed to the gills. This is, well, you can make the argument that 95 and particularly 96 is the creative peak in, uh, of ECW. This is the absolute height of ECW arena, ECW popularity of the fever pitch, the rabid crowds, people feeling like, you know, ECW, which had this cult-like feeling as we and everyone else has talked about. This was the point where all the fans are feeling like, wow, ECW is making it. We're going to be on pay-per-view. And you could, even though this wasn't the pay-per-view yet, you could feel the energy in that building, like radiating off your TV some 30 years later. Yeah, and we've got twenty three years later, whatever it is. Yeah, we've we've got ECW reviews in the archives of this show. If you go back to episode one of this season, you got a hardcore TV. You go to season one, we reviewed multiple big pay per view events for ECW, and there we talk about you know kind of the 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 history and where ECW was and what was going on. So if you want some additional context around some of those some of those things about uh, especially you know the early days of of ecw Uh, go back and listen to those shows at the beginning we give uh, a lot of history and context so definitely we actually have hostile city showdown 1994 in season one it's just one example the thing that i love about the fact that the randomizer chose this episode of tv is that unlike so many of the episodes we've reviewed from different promotions and territories this season, including ECW, uh, mo- well, that was more last year with one of the pay-per-views we reviewed, but so many times the randomizer chooses a show that's in the dying days of a company. <laughs> right. And so here, it's the exact opposite. This is the point where ECW was breaking out from being the truly underground promotion to everybody in the United States having access to being able to see it on pay-per-view. And so that that energy is just it's so cool to see. And it's such a contrast to like Continental 89 or 
World Class 87 or some <laughs> of those late stage AWA shows that we watched. Uh, definitely a different vibe. In the ring, Van Dam with a double underhook, but he drives him face first, almost like a release pedigree. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's like a stalling release pedigree. After some reversals, Taz hits a release German suplex, and Van Dam flips completely over. They trade shots, and Taz hits a low blow. Taz then has Van Dam in a choke, but also, while locking the legs... Styles says it's almost a bow and arrow style. Yeah, it's a freestyle bow and arrow, sort of an amateur move. Another one of those moves that, particularly when you see a lot of guys doing different submissions and stretches in modern day wrestling, guys need to look uh, watch this and learn how to do it. Van Dam in the corner uses the splits to go up and over for a roll-up. Only a two-count. Taz answers with a T-bone Tazplex for a two-count. For my money, the T-bone Tazplex was the best in the arsenal of uh, of Taz. Just looked so cool locking it in and then just dump dudes on uh, on their heads, which is really, I don't know, as a kid, as a young teenager, that's what I wanted to see was just Taz dropping guys on their necks. Van Dam off the second turnbuckle, hits a kick to the face, Van Dam grabs a chair from outside, tosses it to Taz, and Van Dam kicks the chair right into Taz's face. It's the Van Daminator before it had a name. It did not have the name yet, and uh, yeah, it, it got loud ECW chants for that one. Newsflash as well. Rob Van Dam was less concerned about connecting on this against Taz <laughs> than he would be with The Undertaker some five years later uh, in the WWF. Go back to season one uh, for that awesome, tremendous, hardcore title match uh, between The Undertaker and Rob Van Dam. What was that? Unforgiven? Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Yeah, 2001. Unforgiven there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just a a little more reckless abandon than he had with The Undertaker. Uh, Van Van Dam puts the chair on Taz, leaps to the top rope for a split-legged moonsault onto the chair that's on Taz. He killed him with this and also damn near did the same thing to himself. He's hurt here too. We should note that this was Rob Van Dam's finisher at the time, the split-legged moonsault. While he did... The five-star frog splash, that was not his finisher back then. Yeah, only a near fall. Taz kicked out at two. Van Dam sends Taz off the ropes. Van Dam drops down. And instead of going over the top, Taz just drops down himself, puts on the brakes, drops down, puts on a Taz mission, his rear naked choke. But Van Dam gets the ropes. Taz pulls him off the ropes. Van Dam's fighting. He's trying to roll out, but he can't escape. Tries he, fla- to- he flails. He gets he gets choked down to the mat. Gets up. Is like flailing and almost running around the ring as he's in this move. Can't get out of it. As Joey Styles is rattling off the victim list, uh, the guys that Taz has put out with this move, including UFC fighter Paul Varlins. He he tries to push off again. But no, he can't get out of the hold. Van Dam fades and is out. Your winner is Taz. Van Dam drops down. There it is! The Taz Mason! The Kenta Hajime! 
He's got it locked up. Van Dam is fighting for his life. Hands pulled him off the rope. He has choked out Bam Bam Bigelow. Paul Borlick's the ultimate fighter. Chris Jericho. 9-1-1. No one has escaped the cut to Hodge of As applied by the human suplex machine. Rob Van Dam has tried pushing off, rolling through. But Tess, now he's got the leg hook. Forget about it. He's got the body scissors on as well. Van Dam is going nowhere. This was a super fun match. I loved what you just described at the end of it. It was basically RVD trying to do the Bret Hart counter to the Roddy Piper sleeper at WrestleMania, where Bret kicked off of the uh, of the top turnbuckle while he was in the sleeper, pushed back, and was able to, to get the pin. Here, Rob Van Dam tried that, but Taz just stuffs it, gets the hooks in, and chokes him out. I love this match. This is a great finish, uh, great struggle. Got to see some fun stuff from Van Dam and and Taz throwing guys around. This is this has got everything you want from ECW in '97. They have <laughs> we, we they join a Terry Funk versus Brian Lee already in progress. Yes, and not only is this match joined in progress, it is clipped and. Man, ECW in 1997, they knew what stuff to show in full and what stuff to join in progress and clip. Uh, I thought this was great in that if I had to watch, I'm guessing this was at least 10 to 12 minutes of this match. It would have dragged and not been good. But here, just seeing clips of Terry Funk being crazy uh, and every once in a while getting beat up by Brian Lee and seeing this in short bites... It was great. My favorite thing in this match, and I think my favorite thing on this show, and we'll get, we'll see what else it reveals, but Terry Funk out on the floor and he hits Brian Lee with a garbage can. He hits himself with a garbage can. He hits Brian <laughs> Lee with a garbage can. He hits himself with a garbage can. And he's doing this in an escalating pace over and over and over again. Just pure Terry Funk greatness here in 1997, 53 years old, some almost eight years after that incredible I quit match uh, with uh, with Ric Flair that we reviewed over on the Patreon feed. Yeah, after that awesome spot uh, hitting Lee and himself over and over and over again, Funk is bleeding, and oh my God, Funk does an acai moonsault oh off the middle rope to the floor. So close to dying. Yes, he came so close to landing head first (laughs) on the concrete. This was, it was scary stuff. You would think Brian Lee, a man so big that he could pass as the undertaker on pay-per-view, that he would somehow have been able to get into position uh, to catch Terry Funk, but that was not to be. Uh, The match ends, uh, well, it gets close to the end. Terry Funk 
moonsaults onto Brian Lee on a garbage can. We then get another jump cut. Brian Lee goes for a choke slam. Funk reverses it, hits a DDT on a garbage can for the win. Crowd is going crazy. Terry Funk is staggering around the ring as only Terry Funk can. Joey Styles is screaming the comeback lives. This was an awesome segment of what probably was not a very good match. No, but to, it, it looked like a match of the year candidate yes. here <laughs> in clipped yes. form. So great job by ECW. We then see Todd Gordon. He announced the three contenders would face off in a three-way dance. Yes, but you're not describing how this was presented to us. This was presented to us in black and white. Paul Heyman voiced over, uh, and he says the top three contenders are Sandman, Stevie Richards, and Tommy Dreamer. But we see in slow motion in black and white with like fake Frank Sinatra music in the background, Tommy Dreamer relinquishing his spot, uh, giving it to Terry Funk so Terry can have one more shot to become the world heavyweight champion. It is, it's funny to me because here in 1997 in ECW, Terry Funk is presented as being like nearly dead at 53 (laughs) years old. And now in modern wrestling all around the world, whether it be Goldberg in the WWE in recent years or a 58 year old KG Muto in pro wrestling, Noah, or so many other examples. Now there are guys at this age that are just doing matches and winning championships. And Chris it's not Jericho even pres- has to be near yes. 53 in 2021. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not presented as an inspirational story. <laughs> They're just a dude doing what he always does. So it's, uh, it's noteworthy to see how much the business has changed uh, when it comes to age and how guys of a certain vintage are presented. Yeah. So the winner of this three-way dance between the contenders will get a shot at the ECW World Champion Raven. So uh, you mentioned Stevie Richards. He's noted as being Big Stevie Cool. Oh, yes. Because he's uh, the leader of the Blue World Order at the time. Quick aside, I was a huge Stevie Richards fan at this point. And again, this is to this point, I had not seen outside of 10 minutes, which I've explained this story on a previous podcast. But outside of randomly walking into a Chili's in 1996 and seeing Sabu versus Two Cold Scorpio on in the bar, that's the only ECW I had actually seen in motion with my eyes on television. Everything else with ECW I had only read about in the magazines. But I had convinced myself of how great Stevie Richards was. I was a massive fan. And I, as a 16-year-old at this point, desperately desperately wanted a bwo shirt (laughs) ecw television champion shane douglas with francine versus pitbull number one in an i quit match which this surprised me because i remembered like they had a uh i believe a gimmick or stipulation match of some sort Uh, they had a tv title match at barely legal and i remember that clearly so i was surprised to see that was happening here just a few weeks before uh we get a recap of what was actually a fantastic angle with first shane douglas breaking the pitbull's neck breaking pitbull one gary wolf's neck and then uh, when gary wolf came back 
wearing a halo and Shane Douglas grabbed him by the halo and swung him around, re-breaking his neck. That was uh, just an awesome clip. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Just Shane Douglas is just such a, a great heel at this point. Uh, and again, some of it is you had to be there during that time period, but still just such a detestable human being. Uh, the character of Shane Douglas at this point. So that was the backdrop for a now partially recovered pit bull, Gary Wolf uh, having an I quit match uh, with Shane Douglas. Thankfully again here, this is in highlighted form. Yeah. We see Pitbull one, Gary Wolf power bombing Douglas through a table in the ring. Douglas is bleeding Pitbull with a full Nelson because this is an I quit match, uh, goes for the full Nelson, but Francine nails the timekeeper, taking the hammer from the bell. <laughs> That's great. She's... Yeah, she grabs she grabs the hammer from timekeeper slash uh, ring announcer Bob Hardee's, steals the hammer. I, I do want to just briefly note that it always amazed me that Pitbull Gary Wolf had somehow gotten over an ECW as a guy that the crowd loved doing a full Nelson like that just as his finisher. That just seems like a move, a move that the ECW arena fans would hate and would just boo a guy out of the building for doing so. Clearly, uh, Gary Wolf had built up a lot of goodwill with the fans here at the ECW arena. She slides the hammer to Douglas. He hits Wolf in the back of the neck, the injured neck that we just talked about with the hammer. Francine then for for reasons I haven't figured out yet is loosening the top and middle ropes. Well, I feel like she's doing this as a tribute to War Games Wrestle War 92. <laughs> she's channeling Bobby Eaton loosening the top ropes. Uh, it's ECW, so you never know. Mary, maybe Larry Zabisco is going to come out to try to help Shane Douglas and use the steel uh, turnbuckle connector to hit Pitbull Gary Wolf. It could happen. Francine loosing the ropes and we see a neck breaker rude awakening style to the injured neck, which we'll get to the significance of that in a few minutes. Full Nelson by Douglas Pitbull will not quit. Wolf powers out of the full Nelson, but Douglas grabs him, throws him over the top. So his head gets tied between the ropes. So that's why they had to loosen the ropes. So yes, that he imagine could get his it, neck stuck in there. It's basically the way Vader or the way Cactus Jack lost an ear uh, in the match with Vader in Germany, where he goes over the top rope, gets his neck lodged in the ropes, twisted. And then in one of my, I thought this was just such a, again, just detestable, reprehensible human being thing for a heel to do as Pitbull is tied up in the ropes with his surgically repaired neck. Francine grabs the uh, the hammer to not loosen the uh, the buckle and the ropes more so the man can get out. She tightens it to increase the pressure on the, the, the neck of the man with the broken neck. Yes, this was great. Francine frantically trying to tighten the ropes to get him to quit. <laughs> like at exactly the level of urgency, someone who cared would be going to loosen it. Yes. That is how much she is tightening it. She is urgently trying to hasten the breaking of this man's neck. Incredible. The triple threat comes out to stop Pitbull number two, who had come out 
as well. So we've got the triple threat beating up Pitbull 2 with a chair. And with a chain, they tie him to the to the corner post. So it's the corner post near where Pitbull 1 is wrapped up neck first in the ropes. They tie Pitbull 2 with the chain to the ter- or to the corner post and Francine is yelling yelling at Pitbull 1 saying, "If you don't say I quit, we are going to kill your partner with this chair as he's wrapped up with a chain." Uh, with his own chain in the corner. Yep, so while he's he's helpless, Pitbull 2 starts getting hit with the chair, and Pitbull 1 has no choice but to say, I quit to save his partner. We see Gary Wolf, Pitbull 1, being loaded into an ambulance post-match here. Yeah, for the third time now in recent months at the hands of Shane Douglas. A masked man joins Joey <laughs> Styles for a promo. The mysterious masked man, as Joey Styles refers to him, and there has never been a less <laughs> mysterious masked man in your life. Rick Rude himself, as the WCW Halloween Phantom at Halloween Havoc 1991, was more incognito than he is here. He is super skinny. He is wearing a George Costanza sweater, but the mask is not covering up any of his discernible facial features and more importantly no human being alive has or has ever had a voice that sounds anything like rick rude and he begins talking here and yes it's very clear that it's rick rude what he the only way i can describe what he does it's as if the genius lanny Pafo dropped acid and then wrote one of his poems <laughs> he's talking about peter cottontail and feces i don't understand what this is at all no no it was a uh, very wacky but it, the gist is he wants shane douglas douglas and he wants francine and douglas charges in and says he knows that that mass guy was rick rude <laughs> you've got a big mouth for a guy with a herniated disc in his neck yeah, he called. He has a great line where he says, "You're 50 pounds lighter and half the man that you used to be." He says, "I don't care if you beat Sting, if you beat all these other guys." Uh, that was the 1993 Rick Rude, and he's holding a videotape. He's holding a videotape of uh, ostensibly the Rick Rude versus Sting match in 1994 in Japan when Sting hit a wild over the top tope. Uh, that landed Rick Rude horrifically uh, in a very awkward fashion on the staging area uh, of the ringside uh, location at the Tokyo Dome, uh, effectively breaking Rick Rude's back and ending his career. Yeah, he has the videotape from Japan of of that incident. The bad fall you took in Japan took it all away, and that is where we leave Douglas and Rick Rude. Yeah, he basically says that what came to the Wolf household, that meaning Pitbull and Gary Wolf, just might be coming to the Rude household neck. Basically, or Rude household next, excuse me, basically saying if he's Rude doesn't. Break his neck. Yeah, if Rude doesn't stop, he's getting a broken neck again. The fastest rising tag team, <laughs> the Dudley Boys, get a shot at the Eliminators, the ECW World Tag Team Champions, Cronus and Saturn. And 
we, we should be clear here with the Dudley boys. This is them just just starting to emerge out of being a complete comedy act in ECW. And in some ways they still are uh, Bubba Ray Dudley with the, you know, he had had the stuttering gimmick. Uh, they had a bunch of, you know, there were a bunch of random wacky Dudleys beyond just the ones that everyone remembers. Uh, this is just them beginning to emerge out of that and be a somewhat serious tag team. And as you said, they're challenging the eliminators who, uh, ECW pushed very, very hard as the best tag team in the world. Bubba into the corner. Cronus with a bunch of flips and then hits a back elbow on Bubba into the corner. Yeah, it's basically like a triple handspring backflip or a handspring triple backflip elbow. John Cronus is a huge guy to be doing this. He's not in great shape. He's not in terrible shape, but just a massive dude with a gymnastics background doing stuff that you would never expect a guy to do uh, you know, when he's that size. We should mention this match is another one that is joined in progress. Yeah, Saturn off the top hits a sidekick. Saturn with a Frankensteiner. And like then... a legit Scott Steiner-style Frankensteiner. <laughs> and then Saturn we... was an incredible athlete. It's easy to forget that basically when he left ECW and went to WCW, he did so on a completely blown-out knee that he never really got uh, fully rehabbed or had surgery on it like he should have. So while he was a super impressive wrestler after that injury, I think people forget just how freakish of an athlete he was. And you see that on display quite a bit here uh, in this match and throughout his time with Cronus as the eliminators. Yeah, after the Frankensteiner, we just skip ahead and all four men are fighting on the outside. Cronus is busted open. He's bleeding everywhere. This, this is a gusher. One of the worst, uh, I, I would assume, blade jobs. One of the most uh, hideous, horrific gashes and just blood would not stop. His whole face, crimson mask, covered in red. But it's not just his face. His entire chest is bathed in his own blood. This is uh, this is disturbing. Saturn and Bubba back in the ring. Saturn is bleeding too, but nothing close to no, Cronus. <laughs> not at all. Tilt a whirl power slam by Bubba and a Devon splash for a near fall. Devon with a side slam onto a chair. Skip ahead and Saturn tries to fight back, but Bubba keeps beating on him. Saturn is great here. He's fighting back Bubba. Again, the Dudleys, Bubba and Devon, clad in their overalls and their tie-dye shirt. Uh, but Saturn is just so fired up, telling Diva or telling Bubba to bring it on, telling him to punch him more and more. And the crowd is super into this rallying behind Saturn. Yeah, this was awesome. Bubba and Devon, very, I don't know if green is the term, uh, but they green are. Is, Bubba in particular is not the wrestler he would go on to be yet. You can see flashes of it. Uh, but I, I'm of the opinion that Bubba Ray Dudley in his prime is massively underrated, particularly as a seller. He basically invented, if you see guys a lot of times now, when a guy does a top rope cross body and the opponent uh, that's being hit with it jumps up to uh, basically take the move in a much more impactful way and just make it look much better than otherwise would. He's the first guy that did that. There's so many little things that he would do to make his opponent look better. 
uh, but we're not quite there yet with him here. Yeah, so Saturn's begging for more. He's fighting back. He's hulking up. And now he hits a big right hand, and Bubba tries a Bubba bomb, countered into a hook kick, which was really cool. Yeah, it's like Booker T style. Saturn charges, but Bubba catches him with a sidewalk slam. Basically a boss man slam. Quick note, I will say that Saturn does a much better Booker T style hook kick than the Godfather did on that heat episode. <laughs> on heat, absolutely he did. And uh, uh, Bubba, at best, this would be a modified boss man slam. It was, <laughs> yeah. was, was not, uh, not quite up to boss man standards. Saturn hits a drop kick and finally gets the tag to Cronus. He runs wild, While spin kicks all around. Bleeding profusely. Minutes have gone by, and he... <laughs> This cut has not cauterized. The blood is not coagulated at all. He is still gushing blood. Fun double team by the Eliminators is Cronus with a kick to Devon in the stomach. Devon's bending over, and then Saturn hits an axe kick. They break Bubba down, and they hit kicks simultaneously to the front and back of Bubba. He Bubba's able to hit a cutter in the ring, but... Saturn makes the save. Dudley's hit a 3D on Saturn. And shockingly, they get the three count and win the ECW Tag Team Championships. And win them cleanly. There, there, there was no, no this chicanery. Is with the 3D and done. Yeah. Particularly, yeah, by ECW standards, this is as clean as it gets. They win the tag titles. This set up a rematch of the pay-per-view, the actual opening match of the show, which really, like, I don't think if they didn't have that pay-per-view coming up, I don't think they would have done this title change. But clearly, again, with how much they were pushing the Eliminators as the best tag team in the world on one of the featured parts of the show, they really wanted to have them winning the tag titles uh, on the pay-per-view. But the other thing it did was this legitimized the Dudleys as, uh, as an actual top-tier threat tag team in ECW for the first time. Uh, Joel Gertner gets in the ring. And he's jogging around. He's shadow boxing and what only can be described as white boy dancing while he's wearing a suit, uh, meaning suit pants and a suit jacket with no shirt, uh, with that Joel Gertner physique. He says that the Dudleys won the match 75 to 68. Uh, Joel Gertner would always have a scoring system uh, as the personal ring announcer for the Dudleys and declares them the new ECW World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, and then we cut to outside where Gertner is somewhere, and he introduces the Dudleys. Bubba's playing bad harmonica. Yeah, he's playing taps on the harmonica, which is awesome. (laughs) Devon looks on, just staring dead at the camera. Sign guy Dudley is a total dork, gloating as he would. Uh, And uh, Devon says that the Eliminator's reign is dead and buried. All hell, the new tag team champions. We cut to Sandman in the ring with Balls Mahoney. An early Balls Mahoney ECW appearance. He has short Short hair, hair. (laughs) very short hair, uh, normal tattered jeans and T-shirt. This is the transition period from Boo Bradley 
go back and listen to our uh, Smoky Mountain our, Wrestling. Yeah. Yep, our Smoky Mountain show, uh, describing that in much more detail. Uh, to hear as Balls Mahoney, and the setup for this, Joey Siles says that he is going to lay out because we need to hear what is about to happen. And oh my God, watching this back with 2021 eyes, I think maybe the only more disturbing thing I could think of through this lens would be that I quit match with the rock and mankind where Foley had his hands handcuffed behind his back and just got killed over and over in the head with chair shots. The amount and ferocity of the chair shots and cane shots back and forth, completely unprotected from these two men, Sandman and Balls Mahoney, is just... It, 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 words can't even describe the sounds. I don't know if maybe you're going to add a little bit of that sound here I, in post-production. I tried to, uh, to, to, I tried to capture it, but it doesn't do it justice. It, it is... Uh, it it can't you it was just it was brutal you had sandman in the ring hitting balls mahoney with the singapore cane the kendo stick hitting him repeatedly in the head unprotected shots balls is bleeding and i think that's straight hard way from oh, these cane shots 100 percent and then we skip ahead. So God only knows how many other <laughs> shots happened between yes. that and the skip ahead. Balls is hitting Sandman with a chair in the head Directly multiple times. Top of the head, forehead, over and over and over again, completely unprotected. At this point, Balls is... When a- we say unprotected, we're saying... Oh. Uh, Hands are down at his side. There is nothing between chair and forehead. If Sandman had no arms, he would be able to protect himself more than he tried to here. So brutal. So brutal watching this. We skip ahead. So God only knows what other horrible things we missed uh, as we skip ahead. Balls is down. Chair on his face. And Sandman drops a leg off the top, crushing the face of Balls Mahoney, and gets the three count. This was horrifying. It was horrifying. It was a reminder of the things that as an ECW fan in 1997 or 98 in particular, and we started getting to see not just the pay-per-views, but the TV. I'm not going to lie. As a 16 or 17-year-old, I absolutely loved this stuff. Oh no, you grab I, it, you grab your friends and you say, yeah. You gotta see this guy. This guy's nuts. Look at the beat yeah. he takes. Unbelievable. I lived for this stuff. But looking back at it now, my God, do I wish it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's it's hard to watch with modern eyes, but putting yourself back in that time period, it was it was grab your friends, watch the freak show. Well, yeah, it um, was Tell your friends who only watch WWF or maybe WCW, tell them about this ECW thing. And this is the type of thing you would show them to tell them how awesome and different it was, as messed up as that sounds. We see a video showing Sabu and moves. Then we see Taz and Taz moves, and it's hyping up their pay-per-view match at the first ever ECW pay-per-view. 
then we go from that to this is like if Kevin Dunn dropped acid. We have <laughs> Joey Styles in his normal uh, area where they go back to him and he you know hypes what's coming up next, but he is losing his mind, freaking out, getting inches away from the camera, screaming about God knows what. The camera is shaking around violently. Joey is spasming out, screaming about Sabu versus Taz. And like, I feel like I'm going to vomit. Like, I don't know. I'm just too <laughs> old for this, I guess. In the ring, we have Sabu versus Spike Dudley. That's a very young, uh, very early on in this ECW tenure. Spike Dudley, uh, basically in the Mikey Whipwreck role uh, of a few years earlier of just the guy that is a pretty good wrestler, but his hallmark is he's small and he can take a horrific beating. Quick start by Sabu. Slam spike, goes to the top, jumps, hits a huge leg drop. And he doesn't just jump off the top, like he like bounces like a trampoline yeah, off he the ju- top rope and then hits a leg drop. Well, he goes up, he stands on the top of the corner post jumps from the corner post to the top turnbuckle and then off the top turnbuckle for a leg drop. Never seen anything like that in my life. Flying clothesline by Sabu. Spike kicks out. Sabu puts Spike on the top rope. Spike shoves him off. And then Spike hits a Rana off the top. Yeah, it was like a Rey Mysterio flying Rana, except not at all. (laughs) <laughs> but still, it's still impressive to see Spike Dudley do that. He almost broke his neck doing that. We've had several near broken necks between Terry Funk, those chair shots, and now this. Uh, then hits a running somersault off the apron. A rolling uh, in- plancha is the term that Joey Styles used. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a cannonball <laughs> off the apron. Is what this was. Back in the ring, hits a running forearm in the corner. Hits a drop kick. Uh, to the back of the head, then goes for a modified acid drop, more of a bulldog, but the same type of thing. Then Spike Dudley makes a bad decision. He goes for a stinger splash in the corner. Sabu just knocks him down, just swats him. And then recklessly is the only way I can describe this. Like he's his back is to the ropes. He all in one motion jumps back, lands on the second rope, and then just murders uh, Spike Dudley with a somersault leg drop. This was crazy. Oh, absolutely spectacular. Everything you love about Sabu encapsulated in that moment. 100%. And uh, yeah, Spike Dudley took that like a champ. Oof. Uh, T-bone suplex by Sabu. And the place goes crazy because that is Taz's T-bone Taz-plex. Calling out Taz. He mocks the Taz pose. We should all also note, by the way, that he's wearing orange and black. Yes. Not his not his normal colors. So again, doing everything he can to get under uh, Taz's skin to uh, uh, to to get him to come out and fight. Uh, he then puts Spike Dudley in the Taz mission. Spike submits. This was great again. Sabu then grabs the mic and for the first time in his career speaks uh, and says, you effing midget, get out here. Yeah, so Sabu wins with all of Taz's moves, did hit Taz's pose, calls 
Taz out on the mic, and Taz, leading up to this, had been calling out Sabu everywhere he went. So for Sabu to call out Taz here, this is a huge deal. The place is going nuts. But Bill Alfonso comes out instead. <laughs> yes, and he says basically what uh, what you just said. Now, after a year of Taz calling you out, you have the balls to call my man out. Sabu just punches him straight in the face, then leans over and just continues to just... No, first Alfonso slapped Sabu. Yes, and yes, And then yes. Sabu punches him in the face. Which is a great reaction. And starts beating Alfonso down. He shoves him to the floor, puts him onto a table. He shoves Alfonso's apparently lifeless body. Yes. Bill Alfonso, much like taking that flying forearm inadvertently from Ric Flair in the Tokyo Dome at the New Japan WCW Super Show, he is a great spaghetti-legged, lifeless body referee taking a bump, and uh, Sabu drags him to the timekeeper's table. So, yeah, he's, he's on the table, on the floor. He jumps. Uh, so Sabu puts a chair in the ring. He jumps off the chair, over the top rope, through Alfonso and the table all the way to the all the way to the floor. Just the best murdering him. The best part about this was he before he does that, he grabs the mic and he just says, Taz. And that's, <laughs> that's it. Right. And he then runs and does this. And it wasn't even like the normal triple jump where he would run, jump onto the chair, jump off the chair, onto the top rope, and then jump off the top rope onto the table. He just all in one motion runs leaps to the chair, jumps off the chair, and just soars through the air over the top rope, all impact. And as you said, murders Bill Alfonso through the table. Uh, He gets back in the ring, that meaning Sabu, obviously not Bill (laughs) Alfonso, uh, and Taz finally comes in. Yeah, Taz runs down, and they start fighting as the locker room empties to pull them apart. Quite the finish to build to the pay-per-view. Great bookends Fantastic. for this show as a build for the pay-per-view. Just, they had to wow. the, the locker room again. This shows how chaotic and wild and unhinged this feud had gotten, and how much these two men, after a year of being kept apart, were dying to get to each other. Here, twice in this one-hour wrestling television show, the locker room had to empty. Two separate times. Again, I have to stress that two separate times to try to keep these men apart. Yeah, I, I'm excited for the uh, for the pay per view. This, oh, this <laughs> an awesome hour of TV. Again, if you can accept what ECW was at this time, and you know, deal with some of the things that are uncomfortable to watch now, particularly that Balls Mahoney uh, Sandman segment. Everything about this show, including that, absolutely 100 percent nailed the feel the vibe the energy of ecw and what for better or worse at that time drew you know anyone who fell into the cult of ecw this was an hour of tv that would do that to you i'm so happy that we finally got something that really felt like authentic peak ecw uh action and energy it absolutely did uh do you want to know what the matches that didn't air on this show that happened at that same March 15th ECW show. Do you want to know the other matches that didn't air? Oh, I always do. Again, I I hope that they somehow are better than 
the matches that didn't air on the WCW New Japan Super Show that, if you're listening in linear fashion, is the newest Patreon episode. Uh, was Scott Norton versus Equalizer on this show too, or no? <laughs> not on this one, no. And it was not on the uh, on the New Japan Super Show broadcast either. Uh, on what didn't air in the one hour of television here was Tommy Rich and Little Guido, the FBI, the full-blooded Italians, defeated Chris Chetty and Tracy Smothers as Tracy Smothers turned on Chris ah. Chetty and joined the FBI. So he'll turn for Tracy Smothers becoming a member of the FBI. I was going to say, as you're reading off those uh, those names, that sure feels like it's going to be a bad night for Chris <laughs> Chetty. Uh, and there you go. The genesis of Tracy Smothers as a member of the FBI. I'm actually really sad we didn't get to see that. I assume that probably aired on the following week's episode. Two out of three falls, Chris Candido defeated Louis Spicoli. Wow. And then the main event was uh, Raven winning a triple threat match against Stevie Richards and Tommy Dreamer. Interesting. So those were the matches that did not air, but uh, the stuff we saw was awesome. And uh, yeah, absolutely a perfectly put together hour of television. If you just parachuted into ECW or this was your first introduction to ECW, you knew exactly what it was. You knew exactly who everybody was and who the champions were and what was going on. It was everything we want from a weekly television show. Yeah. And And you, you, you 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 knew what you were getting into as well. Like you, you got a sense of everything that made ECW different here in this hour of TV. And like you said, I more than any show that we've done, and there have been quite a few that we've done so far in this season, many of which the majority of which outside of some of the territory shows are building clearly to a particular show coming up very soon. I thought this was by far the most effective show at building excitement and and just hype and getting you so ready to see these matches. I was ready to like run through a wall to get to see Sabu and Taz wrestle each other here by the end of this hour. Yeah, and and that's that's us investing an hour. Could you imagine if you were part of the year build up? Oh, unbelievable. Just great great stuff from peak ECW. This was uh yeah, this was fantastic. So, thank you to the randomizer for oh, finally choosing goodness. of uh, not a dying days episode of a show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we so got... favorite favorite things on this show match to me it's pretty clearly RVD versus Taz. Uh but you know, I guess I could say the favorite thing is just the way the show is laid out, but to me it's everything about Sabu and Taz and the build with an honorable mention to uh, Terry Funk with the garbage can spot hitting himself, hitting Brian Lee, hitting himself, that over and over again was awesome as well. Yes, all of those things were great. Uh, I, I have to agree with every single one of those. Uh, worst thing on the show, it's uh, it's tough to say. There's, uh, I, I'd say, uh, you know, I think the things that were edited down were probably the correct things to oh, edit down. Absolutely, the right uh, things to edit down. So I think. Uh, yeah, I think maybe we could have got more of Taz and RVD. I think that would have been the only thing. Um, the camera zooming in on Joey Styles it well, was probably pretty, I was pretty terrible. And uh, uh, the Joel Gertner with the Dudleys 
gimmick is uh, is is not doing it for me either. No, I so that's one of those things I'll fully admit. Much like the horrific chair shots, uh, unprotected chair shots, I loved Joel Gertner and that character and that act so much as a sixteen and seventeen as year the, old as, kid. As the Dudleys, dude? yes, really. Oh, okay, his like twenty minute ring introductions <laughs> were just. I, I just died of laughter while also being terrified that my mom was going to walk down the stairs <laughs> at any moment and never the, allow me to watch wrestling again. No, my favorite Gertner moment was when he got into a fight and when his shirt came off, he had the Kamala yes. moon and stars painted on his belly. Uh, like that, that's my favorite Gertner moment. But uh... <laughs> that, yes, very, very good stuff. I, the whole thing to me is like clearly the worst thing on this show is everything about what balls Mahoney and uh, what balls Mahoney and Sandman did to each other. But the problem is I'm a hypocrite. If I say that that's the worst thing, no. because back then it was not the is, worst thing at it all. Was no. What I loved about ECW the most, yeah, you know, and it's yeah. 23 years, you know, however long it's about 24 years down the line. And we all understand things a lot more. And as a fan, as a person, you're much different as a 40 year old than you are as a 16 or 17 year old. But I can't in good conscience say that like that's that was terrible. No, nope. because when I was, was watching great. ECW at this time, I absolutely freaking loved that stuff. No, like, it, it was, was what, why I was watching to a great degree. Right. It was what those guys did and they did it extremely well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, it can't it can't be the worst thing. Uh, so there, there's just there, there's not a lot to choose from. Everything was was pretty great here. Uh, the. the even even the weirdness of Rick Rude's promo had some charm. Uh. <laughs> it did. It was just trying to figure out where the hell is Rick Rude going until you realize he's not going anywhere. He's just the mysterious masked man, and he's saying weird stuff. So, yeah, no, it was a, a fantastic show. Uh, yeah, the randomizer picked us a good one. And that's the thing with the randomizer. We never know. It giveth and it taketh away, and uh, it can give us anything we've put thousands and thousands of hours into the randomizer uh so sometimes it does pick things that don't fit into the pattern of a major event like season one or weekly television so far here in season two so we put those to the we send those shows to the land of misfit toys over <laughs> on our patreon feed if you go to patreon.com slash wrestling at random you can get a bonus episode every single week we put out an episode on the Patreon feed. You could support the show there, subscribe, and get yourself bonus content. There's also other tiers. You can be the randomizer. Yes, and we have quite a few subscribers, supporters over on our Patreon who do exactly that. We reference the WCW New Japan Super Show episode on the Patreon. That's exactly where that came from. Someone who pays, who supports the show uh, as a patron at that level got to be the randomizer, and that's what they chose for us to watch. We have also had people who apparently don't like us as much <laughs> that have chosen for us to watch horrible things like the NWA TNA weekly pay-per-view where, uh, was it Tio or Puppet? Whatever puppet, it was. Puppet pulled a gun. <laughs> Puppet pulled a gun, <laughs> yes. and Jeff Jarrett had to save the day with his guitar. No, his steel chair. Yeah. <laughs> he prevented a mass shooting with a steel chair. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> a steel chair would probably stop a bullet better than an acoustic guitar. So maybe really thinking uh, well on his feet 
uh, by Jeff Jarrett. But so it runs the gamut, as you can tell, uh, from the type of things that people choose for us to uh, to watch on the Patreon go, feed. Yeah, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. Check out, just check out the posts that are there uh, for the the audio of the shows that we've reviewed. There's hours Every and week. hours of content. If you signed up tomorrow, you got an entire back catalog you haven't heard yet, and you're going to get new episodes every single week. So make sure yeah, probably you, d- you well, go sign up. Probably well over at this point, 24 hours of content. Uh, well uh, into past 20 episodes that we have over there. Every bit as good as the show that you listen to for free here. Stuff that's even more off the beaten path. And we do let our hair down a little bit over a little bit more over there, including, as I always like to mention here and there on the free feed, that episode where we reviewed 1973 Madison Square Garden, uh, WWF All-Star Wrestling, where Stax and the assorted cast of characters, including Blackjack Lozanza. Uh, Blackjack Lanza, uh, as he was erroneously called by the ring announcer. All those men in that show completely broke me. If you want to hear me lose it and just... Yes, you do. And you do. Go sign up. No, it's, That it's is great. the place for you. It's all right there for you. Yeah, so if uh, it, if you can't support the show financially via the Patreon, we understand that as well. You can support the show by telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Show them how to subscribe to a podcast. Tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show. They might want to take a trip down memory lane with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say that you can tell your former friends uh, who you know are wrestling fans. Tell them about this podcast. Have them listen to this episode. And I think, you know, if maybe they get back to you and give their reaction to the Balls Mahoney Sandman match... That might give you a sense of what the likelihood of your friendship getting back together is or maybe ending in uh, basically a horror movie like that match was. You can interact with the show as well. Twitter is the best way to interact with us at Wrestle at Random. Same for Instagram, Facebook.com slash Wrestling at Random. We post the podcast to YouTube as well. Go to YouTube.com, search for Wrestling at Random. And if you want, all of the links, including the back catalog of this podcast, are available at wrestlingatrandom.com. If you aren't on social media, good for you. Uh, you can still interact <laughs> with the show. The best way to do that is via email, wrestlingatrandom@gmail.com. And so go to wrestlingatrandom.com for all the links I just described, the entire back catalog of evergreen content. If this is your first episode, good news for you. You've got hours and hours of two seasons of content you could jump into right now, and it's all new to you, evergreen content. Go and enjoy it. And if you're a continued listener, please, uh, yeah, keep keep on keeping on. Keep telling your friends about us and keep interacting with the show. We love to hear from you as you watch it, no matter which episode you're listening to. So with that, we are up against time. We're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. We got Prime ECW finally. The randomizer, maybe it likes us after all. 
Oh, and it was such an easy watch, and I, oh. I really enjoyed it. Uh, definitely needed it. Uh, so, yeah. De- so, uh, yeah, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you again next time.